Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Productivity Pod. If you are new to the show, the Productivity Pod is a conversation about the changing work landscape, working smarter, and of course, productivity. I'm your host, Richard Pollack, and I've made my career helping companies all over the world get the most out of and do the most for their workforce. Communication is an essential piece of productivity, and how we communicate with our teams, our friends, and our families have changed pretty drastically in the last few months. I'll give you an example. It started out as work from home. They used to refer to the acronym as WFH, and now it's WFA, work from anywhere. Examples I've helped my customers work through are the California employee moving their family, or even if they're single themselves, to Spain, to Belgium, the Netherlands, which all have incentives to attract skilled labor. Even Barbados, they'll even pay you to go there. By the way, Oklahoma City and Tulsa as well. And there's a major communication issue with what are we going to pay them because, or are we going to change their comp? Um, how are we going to work out immigration issues? What are the legalities involved and all that, even if they're permitted to be in these countries? So it's all about communicating properly to your people uh, when they do move and how you're going to adapt your own culture and communicating it to your employees. And today, we have a special guest who specializes in teaching leaders how to communicate better. That's Gina London. An Emmy-winning former CNN correspondent and anchor with premier clients in five continents, Gina London guides the top companies and executives in the world to more positively connect and engage with their employees, their board, and themselves. A published author and regular media analyst, Gina has appeared on the BBC, Fox, and CNN channels. She's been featured in Fast Company and interviewed on radio and TV across the world, from New Zealand, literally, to Europe, Africa, and the United States. She currently writes a weekly business leadership column, The Communicator, in Ireland's largest circulated newspaper, The Sunday Independent. Gina, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Tell us, how did you get interested in communication and human connection in the first place? Well, you know, it started out with my career in journalism. As a child, I read newspapers voraciously, and I wanted nothing more than to travel to the far-fung places I read from the living room of my home in farmland, Indiana. And that took me to journalism school at Indiana University and ultimately as a reporter and anchor for CNN, primarily in the United States. And it was the connection of people through their stories, honestly, Richard, that drove me. And then delivering and interviewing and meeting people that were beyond the headlines is what started really getting me into the connections and the common bonds that we all have as people. And then after my career with CNN, I was fortunate to be able to go to a lot of emerging countries and democracies around the world to work on issue campaigns. So I worked on the first immunization awareness campaign in Cambodia. I worked with the first women who were running for parliament in Iraq. And no matter where I went, you'd find people hungry to tell their story better, to communicate their experiences or their visions or their passions in a way that captivated the hearts and minds of others. And I know that sounds cliche, but when you're working with a group of people and you see that the things that you learn maybe through the rigors of 24-hour news that you're now almost taking for granted as your ability to come up with a hook and come up with a story and craft and construct and reorder pieces to make them more compelling depending on your audience, that that's not innate. 
It's a transferable, developable skill. And when you see other people, no matter where they are, have that spark or that light go off when they say, oh, this is for me. I can purposely connect with other people too. You mean there really is a a strategy and a structure and then delivery components around that? That is what really drives me even to this day. Okay, so let's convert that to the workplace, right? Yeah. Because I imagine you've worked, and I know you have, in making that connection more powerful and therefore employees more engaged and productive. Can you talk to some of those? Absolutely. Well, that's where it led is the corporate world because, again, where there are people, there's need for connection. And we certainly are experiencing this more than ever through the remote working environment globally that is caused by this pandemic. And I began more than 10 years ago then after my time with that organization where I was working with the campaigns as a strategist, then I moved into the corporate world where I'm working now with CEOs and executives about how do they connect and captivate and share their visions the most effective and memorable and compelling way with their senior leadership team? How do they get cohesive? How do they build trust? How do they- Tell tell us how, give us an example. Yeah, well, one of the examples is to actually have real freedom of communications and have people be able to dissent within a meeting without there be repercussions and to create a culture of recognition to create a culture of value takes real effort. And I find around the world that I've worked with clients in six different continents. So except for Antarctica, when the penguins need me, I'll go. But unless the CEO and the senior leadership team is galvanized and embodying that style of open communications, active listening, instilling trust, then it cannot permeate throughout an organization, no matter what an HR or L&D or communications team tries to do. It has to be from the top throughout that organization. So embodying positive leadership, embodying behaviors that demonstrate that consistently, those are some of the ways to demonstrate trust. Okay, so take an example where you're called into a company. Uh, You called in through a concerned HR executive, a CHRO. You called in through... um, the learning development department, which is part of human resources, of course, or finance, or does the CEO call you directly and say, I need help. I know I'm not doing this right. Yeah, there's a number of different ways. And I'll give you one example that I'm fond of sharing that started out kind of like a hostile client, if you will. This was mm-hmm. a guy, is still a guy, and he's actually one of my, <laughs> my favorite stories of transformation now. So I'm real proud of him. This guy is that managing director for a national division of a big pharmaceutical company. His numbers are great. His productivities are great. The projections are all great by the numbers. But corporate referred him to me, made him see me because his numbers were in the basement when it came to personal connection. So Richard, I walked into his office knowing that this guy, I'd been told by the people that were bringing me in, you know, this guy's not going to be happy to see you, but he knows he has to. So that's a great environment to walk in. And I walked in to his office and it was through the open door into this glass office. And I walked in and he didn't get up to shake my hand. He stayed seated and he's looking at me with this stone face and he says, 
I don't know why you're here because you can see that you walked right through the door. I have an open office policy. And I said, <laughs> okay. I said, okay. Do you ever get out of your office and walk around and ask your teams how they're doing on a Monday after a weekend? This is back when we were in offices. And he looked at me like, well, no, but they know that the office door is open. And that was my beginning standpoint. So over the next six months then, in all seriousness, we worked on, first of all, getting him to agree that it made a difference. And what I did quite simply was have him talk about his family on camera. And it turned out that beneath his very stoic exterior was a dad who was in love with with his four-year-old daughter. And like a lot of dads, that daughter had him wrapped right around her finger and she could do no wrong. And when he talked about her on camera, his face lit up and his expression became warm and his voice changed in pitch and in pacing as he got more excited about the little goofy things she would do. When you say on camera, was it just between you two? I recorded recorded him just for me. Yeah, just for him. Yeah, good point. And so I just put him on put him on camera so he could he could be recorded as he talked about it. And then you won't be surprised about this juxtaposition, but it's a real stark visual for the participant or the client. Then I had him talk about the business and I had him talk about what he was going to be preparing for the weekly all hands or the monthly all hands. And immediately he went into numbers and information and facts, and all that emotion that had been tied to his family drained out, and he was that stone-faced person that had oh, and, wow. that I'd entered in. And then we played the, the recordings, one against another. And I said, look, who do you want to follow? Who do you want to listen to? How can you teach someone to be more human? Well, the good news is if there's desire and awareness, you can. If there's no desire... Then you can't, even if you got corporate breathing down your neck. But fortunately, he was a real willing participant. And then you you go through incremental stages of awareness, and then you match that with behavior modifications. Because it really gets evidence-based out of neuroscience as to how you can start to transform yourself deliberately over time. Yes, very interesting. You've got to want to make a change in order to make it. And even then, it's really hard. Yeah, it's, it is really hard and it takes a lot of discipline. But fortunately, a guy like this guy who was so disciplined around the numbers, once he saw the light and once he had to do a lot of report backs about if you change your feedback loop this way by trying this as a delivery, track what the response is. And the more that we start to demonstrate and he started to agree that, gosh, the responses are different. Things are happening. In essence, help him change his whole feedback loop structure of how he would interact with individuals. And then they, of course, in turn would interact differently, but it doesn't happen overnight because people are skeptical. They're like, what is he up to? Why is he coming around outside of his office and talking (laughs) to us? We don't, that's not how you build trust in one day because they think it's a one-off. So we had, it was a six month program and with regular check-ins and it was over two years, in fact. It, in fact, helped increase productivity in the company? His productivity numbers were already great, to be honest. But what it did is it brought the morale up. It brought the people. You could see, for example, when you walk into an office, if, if we ever do this again, if you walk into an office as an external visitor for whatever reason, and everybody's head stays down, 
Think about the difference in if you walk into an office and people feel free or they're able to to be curious to look up or, and even greet you as you walk by or smile at you as, as you walk by. That is a real small but significant way of getting a feel for what that culture is in an organization. And again, the culture is usually determined by the management team. And it certainly was in this particular situation. Yeah, for sure. Great. Okay. So if we say you're the thing, is it communication, just really communication, or is it more to it? My thing, my thing, I love it. My thing now is holistic approach to responsibility for your communication. So I like to say it's it's leadership communication. It's purposeful communication. So it's heightening your awareness around how do we communicate? Well, it's by our body language. It's by our choices. It's by our vocal variety, using our voice as an instrument. We can make our tone warm. We can make our tone very strident and very abrupt. I mean, those are all choices. And the more we go out of our, probably most of us, our current default subconscious reactive way of interacting with people in life and ourselves, and we move more into a purposeful focused, deliberate way of communicating with others and ourselves. it does change the whole, it, it changes your life. It changes your dynamic with other people. And that's the point of what I do. Okay. Did it change your life? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in, a, in a million zillion ways. And the, one of the first ways that I became aware of this as really as a phenomenon was back to the days when I was describing when I was a kid growing up in a tiny town, really was called farmland. That's not just the descriptor, Richard. It really is called farmland, Indiana, population like 1,235. If you're of a certain vintage, you might have heard of the American television show Hee Haw, and it was actually a small town. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, yeah, I do remember. It was, it was saluted on Hee Haw. That's how small it was. But growing up in, in Indiana, I, and with the, as a kid, as a young girl who actually wanted to, at the time in the early 80s when I was growing up, the female news anchor was beginning to be a phenomenon. It wasn't a commonplace as it, as it is now. And so I actually had a, a, a dream to one day be a television news anchor as a woman. And so one of the first things I became aware of from my mom grew up in the northern part of Indiana, closer to Chicago. And we'd go visit that area to see family and friends of hers. And she had a friend who was a beauty salon owner. And so we'd go get our hair cut and trimmed and, and shaped or whatever for, for cheap from my mom's friend, Sharon. And when I was about 10 years old, my mom was talking to Sharon. And Sharon, they'd go through this sort of routine every time that we'd visit. But by the time I was 10, I was really aware of what my mom's friend was saying. And she would say, well, you know, you have such a lovely little daughter, little country girl that you adopted. I, I I don't know where she got that accent. And I was listening to them and going, well, I can hear what you're saying. And then I realized that if I continued speaking with, frankly, the dialect that I had from that small town where the United States Capitol was pronounced as Washington, I could probably never achieve my dream of being that neutral voiced news anchor. And so one of the first things I began to do as I got older was to adopt or adapt my vocal quality, my accent. And this is one of the cruxes of how you can develop yourself not to become 
inauthentic, this big buzzword around authenticity. Actually, I go counter to that because a lot of times people will hide behind or use authenticity as an excuse to not develop. But while I kept the values of my small town, many of them close to my heart, the way that I speak has developed over time. The same way that any of us would develop a skill around if you're an accountant mathematics or if you're a, a play an instrument, you're going to practice that piano or that clarinet so that you can play it. It takes time and it takes practice and it takes effort. The same way you can develop the instrument that is you. And so I think that's part of developing how you behave, how you the choices you make around your attire, the choices you make around the image of you that you want to present. One of the things that I share with my clients back again with this idea of our feedback loops is if we're getting not the responses that we want when we're interacting with someone, the first place I would encourage you to look is within. How are you interacting with that person? Are you taking responsibility of moving that relationship forward or are you just letting things happen and possibly likely the relationships moving backwards. So it takes a lot of ownership and responsibility. And like I said, time and effort and coaching. Is there a way for someone, how would they start if they didn't have access to you? I mean, or even how do they find someone like you? They all have access to me now, Richard, because I developed over COVID this lovely language of leadership, that language of leadership learning platform. It's called languageofleadership.org. And you can incrementally, through a series of bite-sized video lessons from me, over the course of six months, you can go from the incremental ideas around your appearance, your posture, your expressions, your clothing choices, the way you present, your vocal quality, storytelling. It really is a fundamental transformation process, one tiny step at a time. But if you don't go to that, start with the very basic tenets of what I build my, my whole program on, which are the ABCs, our appearance, our behavior, and then our communications, because that is really those three inner working elements of us at all times that we're interacting with other people with in any given situation, not just work, but any type of Zoom or any type of phone call or any type of meeting with a, a teacher or a, a physician all those types of interactions are opportunities for us to be deliberate communicators and not default. Okay, so I, I find that very interesting, ABC. So take us into the world we live now, right? Which is somewhat and entirely unique than we did before, yeah. um, right? And some firms, I've already adapted some of these principles before COVID, but in the remote workplace or allowed their employees to work remotely. But now people are forced to be in a positions that they weren't in before. Using that formula, or even another one you have, how can you help people that are trapped in their rooms uh, eight hours a day? And the Zoom fatigue is really real. And one of the things that I've been, of course, like most of us, when we're adapting to the realities of remote working and the, the different variables the pandemic has foisted upon us, we have to deal with, again, making choices where we can. We also have to go easy on ourselves and not be too hard on ourselves because, again, the stress and the fatigue levels, depending on your living situation, are very, very, very real. I'm fortunate because I happen to be, even though I'm an American, I now live in Ireland. And in Ireland, since September, our students have been socially distanced and wear face coverings, but they are back 
in school. So where I have a 13-year-old daughter and when I'm home working and Zoom after Zoom, I don't have to worry that she's running around and going to walk in the shot or going to be four years old and need her bottom wiped or something that has happened actually to other people I've been working with in different situations and places around the world. So the choices, though, that you can make, for example, as a leader, and I like to say that anybody who impacts even one other person is a leader. So if you can make choices around your attitude, try to find a place where you can refuel your body and your mind and your soul so that you can be that best version of you when you do appear on your Zoom or your WebEx or your Microsoft Teams, whatever your platform. Try to be able to be on for your teams when you need to be on for your teams, but also have a thinking buddy or rant partner or someone that you can lean on so that your well can be refilled. And then another thing around choices, I've noticed that a lot of my clients, if there hasn't been a mandate to have their cameras on, people are gradually turning them off more and more. They're slipping. They're not getting used to this. And so I'm encouraging resets for teams, especially especially as we're moving towards the end of the year, even though there's a vaccine around the corner that we hear here in Europe, of course, the UK is already bringing things on and, and there's excitement about that. There's also still uncertainty about when will we be back into offices and will we be blended? So the choices we make around our attitude, what we can do to refuel ourselves, even simple things like make a choice to turn your camera on. We still need to connect to facial expressions. If we don't get full in-person interactions, we still really do appreciate seeing someone looking at us through a screen more than just the voice coming through. So again, Make some choices, make some decisions. Don't just rock up, get prepared and try to do what you can. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now you write for the Sunday Independent. You have a column there, I understand. Is that right? I, I do. In the, it's the largest circulated newspaper in Ireland. It's called the Sunday Independent, as you mentioned. It's funny because Ireland's a country of 4 million people and it has a readership on a Sunday of a subscription rate rather on a Sunday of 700,000. So almost a million people subscribe to that paper, let alone who are reading it online. So it's called The Communicator and it's all around leadership communications. Again, not just how we engage employees or interview tips or presentation tips or all the things we've already been covering, but also a lot of the self wellness and self-care that we're so needing right now. For example, this coming Sunday, I'm talking about the importance of humor and how you can build rapport through a Zoom and how do you engage your team, even if you don't think you're funny, how can you dip into your stories and talk about the still clutter behind somebody else's background in their Zoom and have that rapport and continue to find ways through humor to continue to get through. So I like to look at things through a lot of different lenses. And I've actually got a professional Irish comedian who's helped me with a couple of his own tips and what he's been doing in this time of no more in-person comedy shows and how he's been using humor to help him survive as well in a virtual world. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, so how can we get to your, is there a link that we can get? To you can find me all over the place, Richard, and I appreciate that. <laughs> please, please do. I'm super active on LinkedIn. In fact, I post my my column every every week on my LinkedIn page as well. 
as my website, which is GinaLondon.com. And in my website, GinaLondon.com, there's a portal that takes you right to that platform, Language of Leadership, or you can go directly to the Language of Leadership org as a standalone platform and begin your transformation to a purposeful communicator and connector right then. I'm also active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If I've left anything out, you can't find me on TikTok. I'm on there, but that's only to monitor my daughter who is 13. <laughs> <and her postings. laughs> I know that. Feel. I have a 14-year-old son and I do the same thing. I, I put go. it on my calendar, in fact, on my task list every <laughs> Tuesday and Thursday to check his TikTok. That's it. Uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. If there's one tip, I hate to put you on the spot for one tip, maybe two or three, or anything comes to your mind on productivity, productivity, particularly in the workplace, because that's what we're really about here. Can you share that with us? Yes, I can. I actually featured this in one of my columns as well. The idea about being productive in the Zoom fatigue time is really difficult and a challenge. So one thing I advocate, do not do hour, 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 hour virtual meetings because you're going to kill yourself. Build in at the very minimum, try to do 10 minutes in between so you can go have a potty break. So you can go take a walk outside your home if you if you can do that. But in all seriousness, we're generally productive only about two or three hours a day. So give yourself a break and don't think that you are going to get all that work done on the backside of meetings at the end of the day after you put the kids to bed. Try to give yourself a way to Honestly, I advocate come into your house and then turn your laptop on like you're starting your day. Then go out of your house at the end of the day. Turn that laptop off. Even put a pillowcase or a blanket or something over it so you feel like you're actually exiting a workplace. Try to do things to make yourself feel a little bit more separate from work. We talk about work-life balance. Well, now it's all just meshed into one thing. So the way to help yourself be productive, be kind to yourself, take breaks, and try to make work and your family life have a bit of separation. Terrific. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I'm going to definitely read your communicator in the Sunday Independent in Ireland's largest circulated newspaper, 700,000. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Richard. Great to be with you. Thank you so much, Gina, for coming on the show. Now it's time for Smart Seconds. This is the part of the show where I'll be sharing tips, themes, ideas on how you can work smarter today. Today, I want to explore a theme from chapter two of my book, Work Smart Now. That part is called Culture in a Box. Culture in a Box is essentially certain tenets that I feel like will fit in a box and be applied to almost any organization. If you're unhappy with your organization, your culture, these tenets can help you improve. Example, this might sound odd, but customer second, that should be part of your culture. And that's part of the culture, but what's that mean? Most firms you hear, firms talking about customer first, the customer is always first. But in a real strong culture, actually, the customer is second. The employees are first. Because if your employees are happy, they're engaged, they're empowered, then the customers are going to be happy. So if you take care of your people, then you'll take care of your customers. So that's why I say customers. Actually, it works even you first, employees second, and then customers third. And the money always follows in that process. 
Well, these are tenants I've developed over a period of years. I've been doing this 43 years now. It occurred to me actually last week. And these top tenants, 10 top tenants are each one of them embraces the new world, the future workforce, frankly, from employees working remote uh, to doing work on Zoom uh, to working in their living rooms, working everywhere. Uh, in fact, the whole work-life balance, that concept, I don't really agree with. Work is life, life is work, and it's how you embrace both of them in your life that makes, makes it work for you. And that's part of the culture in the box. Even the hierarchy, there shouldn't be a hierarchy so much if you embrace your employees right. That'd be tenant number five, for example, in culture in the box. You set the tone that the CEO reports to and is reported to from the employees. For example, if in the ideal situation, if we were in the standard office format, the CEO would sit in the center and all the workers and people would be around him so that people can go to him and or her and also they he or she can go to them really for whatever the need is. Thank you for tuning into the first episode of the Productivity Pod. I hope this episode has left you motivated and with a few more tools to work smarter now. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review over on the Apple Podcast. And until next time, thank you for joining us.